excited about. We, today, we get to start the Gospel of Luke. And um, as I've been thinking about this series, I'm thinking about it as you might think of a wonderful, slow, scenic drive. You're not in a hurry to get where you're going. You're going slow, so you have the opportunity to take it all in. And the Gospel of Luke is a book worth slowing down to take it all in. And to that end, I want to encourage you to make the most of it. Um, if it's gonna, we're going to be studying this for a year and a half, maybe two years. If I move really slowly, we'll see. Um, it's worth thinking about how you can maximize that time. Uh, one way you can do that, there's going to be scripture journals that you can purchase at the book wall. Um, they basically have the text of the Gospel of Luke and a space for you to write notes. Some people find that to be a very helpful way to keep in sync with the study. Uh, one other thing, I will have my text that I'm going to be preaching. I'll have that available. If you look in the e-news, you'll see both the one coming up next Sunday as well as a little bit of a roadmap of where I'm going for several Sundays after that. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, keep your eye on it. But this morning, we get to focus in on the first four verses, and that'll be our scripture reading. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is what scripture says. Insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in a, a brief prayer? Father, as we undertake this study, we, we want to thank you for, for the word that you have provided, for the, the riches of it that we can study and even research and, and give ourselves to being careful in our attention to even the small details and Father, we are so thankful for the way that as we study your word, as it, how it produces certainty in our hearts, that the things we have believed are true, and that even our Savior Jesus is more glorious and loving and majestic than we thought before we started reading. Oh, Father, we ask your help as we start studying this. Would you not make this just an academic exercise or something that would puff up with knowledge in our hearts? Would you make this a careful study of our Savior that leads us to hearts filled with joy as we behold him with eyes of faith? We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Do you really believe what you really believe is really true. Do you really believe what you really believe is really true? Uh, I heard that statement uh, last weekend at the memorial service of a member of our church, Fred Mertz. His son Jonathan said that his father would regularly ask his children to consider 
if what they really believe, if they really believed what they really believe was really true. Now, what Fred meant by that is have you really looked into the things that you say you believe in your Christian faith? Do you believe them just because your parents have told you to believe them, or is this something more? Something that you have owned, something that you have researched yourself. I found that phrase so striking, I think, because it's a bit of a throwback. Uh, you may have observed what philosopher uh, Philip Reich has said, we live in the age of the therapeutic. That is, we care more about what our religion makes us feel than we do whether it's really true. You might say it another way, we like style over substance. We're more wrapped up in emotion and experience over truth. With a day and age like that that we're living in, I'm so thankful that we have the gospel according to Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is a wonderful book to study for a variety of reasons. And, and the day and age we live, it is a wonderfully countercultural book. It's written for the express purpose that you might be able to really know what you believe is true. As we study it, I hope that your certainty of the things that you have believed will increase. I hope also that that won't just be an academic, intellectual sort of thing. That we won't turn into a sort of cold, frozen, chosen people with lots of knowledge that pops up. But instead, that as we study our Savior, that we'll find true experience and emotions come with that study. That as we study Jesus and become convinced that this really happened, that our joy will grow as well. That's our aim in this study, and as I mentioned, it's going to be a lengthy one. And just a word, if you've never been a part of a, a lengthy sermon series like this, don't let that be intimidating to you. We're going to take it Sunday by Sunday, one section by section, with fresh gleanings to give us fresh insight and, yes, fresh joy. Because it turns out your faith in Jesus is something you can know to be true if you'll take the time to research it for yourself. Well, this morning we're going to do a bit of an introduction. We'll look at those first four verses, and then I'll introduce Luke himself and the whole book project that he undertakes. And my hopes would be by the time you're done, you will not only know Luke well, but you'll be thankful that the Lord had him write this account to help your faith to be certain. This morning we'll look at, uh, we'll have three points that we'll move through. Those three points are as follows. First, introducing Luke. Introducing Luke, getting to know the writer. Second, investigating Jesus. Investigating Jesus. We'll look at the methods that Luke used as well as the nature of the project he undertook. And then finally, inviting us. Inviting us. Luke will speak directly to each and every one of us and invite us to study our Savior for ourselves so we too can have certainty that what we have believed is true. Let's begin with that first section, introducing Luke. In your English Bible, it probably has a heading above the beginning of the book, the gospel according to Luke. 
church history is pretty consistent that this book was written by a man named Luke. Most likely it was written sometime in the early to mid-60s. That put it roughly 30 years after the life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't ever come right out and say, my name is Luke and I wrote this book. So it's a bit of inference that we have to do using church history, but also some clues in the text to come to the conclusion that he wrote it. But as we do, I think the evidence is pretty, uh, pretty airtight. Now, um, one, a couple of things you might know about Luke, if I were to do a trivia, uh, a bit of Bible trivia about what people know about him, probably at the top of the list is that Luke was a physician. You may not know where that comes from, though. Um, you see that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. One short verse, and just on an offhand way, Paul mentions, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, that verse shows us that indeed Luke was a doctor of the body, but it also shows us that he was a doctor of souls. Uh, because in that section in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is going through his missionary team that is with him. He lists Luke as one of the Gentiles, after just listing off the Jews that are with him, that is laboring with him for the cause of the gospel. That tells us quite a bit about Luke. Luke is someone with medical training. And we'll see as we move through the gospel that he will have a careful attention to details that a physician's eye would be able to catch. We also know from this that Luke was very likely a Gentile which remarkably makes this the only book in the New Testament written by a Gentile. That's a very significant thing. Uh, third, though, we'll see that this means that Luke, at his heart, is a missionary. He's an evangelist. He is someone that not only cares for the body, but also for the soul. And his burden in writing these books is a spiritual one. He wants people to be able to believe in Jesus and to know that faith in him is true. Some other things we can know about Luke from your Bible. Luke was a, a man who was extraordinarily loyal. And the last writing we have from the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy, near the end, as Paul is writing to Timothy in such a way that you get the sense Paul doesn't think he's going to get out of this prison. He thinks this might be the end for him. He mentions that only Luke is with him now. He's been abandoned by everyone else. And yet at the very end, who is it that stuck with him to the end? It, it is the beloved physician, Luke. There's a, a lot to be said about Luke in terms of his virtue. But the thing we need to highlight specifically about his character this morning is Luke's virtue as a student. Let's read those first two verses of the introduction and, and see if you catch how Luke is someone who does some reading himself. Insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Now, this first four verses is one long sentence. Um, and by the way, it's 
some commentators describe it as the best written set of uh, verses in the entire Bible. The Greek in it is supposed to be par excellence. That shows that Luke has an ability as a technical writer there. But, but did you notice that the way Luke wrote that, it tells us a few things about him. He has received the testimony about Jesus from people that he calls ministers of the word. People that delivered to us, that's including Luke, the story of Jesus. What we might call the gospel. That clues us in that Luke is not a first generation Christian. He is someone that heard the preaching of the apostles. Someone who on faith took the message that he heard. And that means Luke is a lot like you and I in a sense. He is someone who has relied upon the reliability of the things that people have told him about Jesus. Never met Jesus for himself. Yet Luke is convinced that the things that they, were, that, uh, that they deliver to him are true. That meant he studied. And we'll see as we d dive into the book that he has even made connections to the way that God had predicted that things would happen the way that they did. That's why God accomplished these things among us, according to him. Now, at this point, I just want to pause and say that there is an important principle for Christians, and that is to understand that we are not the first people to have believed in Jesus. That we come through a legacy or a chain of people that have believed in Jesus and have faithfully passed down the message of belief in Jesus from one generation to the other. Now there are a lot more links in that chain in our day than in Luke's day. And yet, if it's possible for someone who never met Jesus to truly know that those things were true, that means 2,000 years later, it's also possible for you to know that the things you have believed, if you believed in Jesus, are in fact true. And in fact, Luke is going to help that very thing to happen by a project that the Lord specially called him to undertake. And that brings us to our second point this morning. The investigation of Jesus. The investigation that Luke ha made regarding Jesus in verses 3 through 4. Now, I think intuitively, because we live at a time when we are skeptical of so much, we understand the need to do research for ourselves. I, I remember my dad giving me advice when I had gotten old enough to desire to own a car for the first time. I had been saving up money. I had my eye on a nice blue car that had a, a pretty powerful engine to it. And my dad gave, he didn't tell me don't buy it, but he told me, maybe do your homework before you buy it. Go to the library, get a Consumer Reports magazine. Make sure you understand how much it should cost, what the maintenance on it's going to be, how reliable it's going to be. Do your research for yourself before you buy in and put yourself on the line. Uh, living at the day and age we live, we intuitively do this. You go shopping online, and chances are you are comparison shopping, even as you have something in your cart you're about to buy. If you go to buy a house, you're probably going to scour the Zillow page for every detail you can, 
And then when you go to, if you're fortunate enough to be able to, to have a walk through these days, you're going to go through with a careful eye to make sure someone doesn't pull a fast one on you. We do research when we buy things. We do research before we sign up to, uh, to study at a university or a certain program. You do research for the person that you're interested in marrying. You get to know them, right? Well, one of the things that you could say is virtuous about Luke is he is a man who knows how to do research for himself. In verses 3 through 4, he tells us that he had a project he undertook. And that is to try and write an orderly account, one that was reliable, so that you could be certain in your faith. In verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke tells us that he did careful research, and his book bears the mark of it. Now, the, Luke's gospel, if you were to just look at the whole book, 24 chapters, over 1,000 verses, if you tried to sit down and read it cover to cover, which I, I highly recommend doing, um, it, it's a bit of a read. It'll take you an hour and a half, two hours, depending how fast you read it. Now, one of the wonderful things about it is that Luke's gospel is, it might have, when it came out, it might have seemed a little bit like the director's cut of the gospel. It has over a third of its material that's not found in Matthew or Mark. Uh, some of the uh, passages we love from the life of Jesus or the things about him are found only in Luke's gospel. For, for instance, the births of John the Baptist and Jesus. Luke explains to us in great detail both the uh, events before his birth and, as well as this, this little snapshot into Jesus as a little boy running away from his parents in the temple. Uh, with certain teachings of Jesus that you know really well, uh, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, a whole bunch of different parables are only found in Luke's gospel. Uh, interactions with people like with uh, Zacchaeus, or Jesus revealing himself to disciples on the road to Emmaus. All these things are only found in Luke's gospel. Well, how did Luke come across all this material? Well, most scholars think, and I think it's a pretty good guess, that Luke went and did some investigative research. That he went and talked with Mary, with the living apostles, with first-generation Christians, and did his best to be a, a faithful reporter, to write down the things that people had seen and heard, and then put them in an orderly account so that we could benefit from them too. Now, let me just say that this account that Luke put together is skillfully written. He very intentionally pays attention to the order things happen in, as well as themes to make this all come together into a cohesive whole. Uh, one of the ways you can see this, a mark of clear writing, is structure. Uh, and Luke's gospel is really not hard to outline at all. Here, if you listen just for one minute, you will be able to outline the whole book of Luke, all 24 chapters of it. In, verse, in chapters 1 through 2, you get the story behind Jesus' arrival in the, in the world. That is, the births of both Jesus and John the Baptist, the origin story. 
And then after that, in chapter 3, you get Jesus' call to ministry and his ministry starting. And then that stretches all the way to chapter 9 with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. This is where there's lots and lots of Jesus' miracles, the early excitement of his ministry. And that builds and builds until Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, the transfiguration. And then at that point after that, there's a big shift that happens. Jesus explains that he is, uh, he's on a mission that will result in his death in Jerusalem. And from chapter 9 and verse 51, all the way until chapter 19, there is a movement of Jesus. It is snapshots of Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem. The inevitability of it builds as he tells parables and, and teaches. And the opposition of the scribes and Pharisees ratchets up. Until finally you get to the last movement in the book. Chapter 19, verse 28, all the way through the end of the book. What happens when Jesus gets to Jerusalem? As he is betrayed and taken into the custody of the Romans. As the Pharisees ensure that he is killed on the Roman cross. As he's buried, as he rises from the dead and reappears to his disciples, and you get the sense that this story isn't quite over as the book ends. And in fact, it's not over because Luke writes a sequel, the book of Acts. That's the, the other unique thing about Luke's gospel. There is this second half to it where Luke traces the advance of the gospel after Jesus ascends back into heaven as the apostles receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and go and preach the gospel all to the very ends of the known world, to all the way to Rome by the end of the account. Now that's an ambitious project that Luke undertook. But it's actually not hard to stay oriented once you know the roadmap. You're either preparing for Jesus' arrival, you're seeing Jesus start his ministry, or you're on your way to the cross and the resurrection. Now, with all of that, we get a sense that Luke was someone, uh, as I mentioned, he was a, a, a second-generation uh, Christian. There is also a sense in the, the book of Acts that Luke himself was an eyewitness to the events that occur at a certain point onward. Uh, this is worth your study on your own. Um, if you go to Luke, um, Acts chapter 16, there's a shift that occurs. Uh, all up in, until that point in the book of Acts, the, uh, as Luke is recounting what's been happening in the history of the early church, he's described everything as an observer would. They went here. These people said this to these people. When you get to chapter 16, he starts to say, we went. We did this. It becomes first person. Uh, which implies that Luke was there to see those things happen. All right, now one other thing about Luke is he is a detailed writer. You are going to see many details that that physician's eye would catch. Uh, things like uh, in one gospel, like Matthew or Mark, it might say that someone had a fever, where Luke might say he has a high fever. Or another gospel might describe someone as responding in joy, and Luke might say they responded in great joy. Uh, Luke will have careful attention to names and times and the order of events. Uh, one of the strengths of his gospel is that it gives us a very structured, orderly account. Now, in all of those details, though, Luke doesn't lose his focus. 
like any good writer, he has one main aim in mind. And that is that you would know that Jesus is the Son of God, come to fulfill the promises of God, to save all the people of God from all the nations in which they'll come. Let me say that again. This is Luke's main point. That Jesus is the Son of God, come to fulfill the promises of God, to save the people of God from all the nations from which they'll come. Uh, coming off reach, but that Gentile streak in Luke is noticeable. He will place particular attention to this reality that Jesus is for all kinds of people. He, he is for tax collectors. He is for the people on the margins of society. Back then that was women and the poor. And yes, for Gentiles like him and like most of us who are not Jewish today. Uh, there are rich themes running through the book. I won't give you all of them. I'll just mention a few. As we study through it, you will see these come to the forefront at different points along the way. Uh, Luke has a lot that it will teach you about Christology. That is, you'll learn a lot about Jesus, his, his life, how the Holy Spirit plays into the ministry of Jesus, how he related to his family and his disciples. You, you'll learn quite a bit about how Jesus came on a mission from God. That Jesus is appearing as part of God's plan. It's actually the fulfillment of scriptures. There will be this repeated refrain that Jesus came to fulfill all that was written in the law and the prophets. Uh, you'll learn a lot about stewardship. Uh, one of the things that Luke spends more time on than the other gospels is about how money is both a great blessing from God to be stewarded and a great temptation to be careful of. Luke will also spend a lot of time on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was struck as I was reading the Gospel of Luke that there was this one thing I'd, I hadn't noticed in all my study of the Bible. He remarks that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. You'll find lots of little phrases like that throughout the Gospel where he brings the Holy Spirit to the forefront, foreshadowing what's going to come in Acts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, in all of this, as skilled as a writer as Luke was, and as wonderful from a literary perspective as this book is, I can guarantee you, Luke would not be happy if you were just in awe of his writing, or even if he won some academic award. Because at his heart, Luke is a doctor of souls. He is a man who cares that people would come to trust Jesus the way he has, and that they would find the joy of certainty as they study the Savior for themselves. Which is why we have our third and final point. Luke is inviting us to study our Savior today. The last verse, second half of verse 3 and verse 4, shows us that Luke had someone particular in mind when he wrote he wrote an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, we don't know if Theophilus was the person's real name. It seems very unlikely that it was not a real person. The name Theophilus literally means God lover. And it seems like whoever this person, this God lover was, he was someone who was wrestling with issues of doubt. Uh, maybe he was a first, uh, second generation Christian like Luke, 
who had begun to feel some of the first whiffs of persecution, began to suffer a little bit and was wrestling with, do I really believe? What I really believe is really true? Luke, with the mercy of a doctor for the heart, undertakes this research project so that this dear brother in the Lord can have certainty. Yes, these things you have been taught are in fact true. Now, again, we don't know exactly who Theophilus was, but in some ways, it doesn't matter. Because if you are a Christian, there is a little Theophilus in you, because there is a Theophilus in all of us. If you're a Christian, by definition, you are a lover of God. You are someone that has come to know the love of God by placing your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to to pay for your sins on the cross. You are someone that has repented of those sins and thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus and found him to be your resurrected Lord, uh, the one that can make good on God's promises to you and bring you closer to God than you ever dreamed possible. That means that each and every one of us, as lovers of God, are rightfully objects of this book and this study. This book is here, given by God for you, to be able to grow in your appreciation for Jesus. To be able to grow in your certainty that the things you have believed about Jesus are true. And best of all, to grow in your joy as you do. Now, to be clear, as a Christian, there is no theology test waiting you at the pearly gates before you enter heaven. You are not measured as a Christian by how much Bible trivia you know. You are not better than another Christian if you are more rigorous in your study. And yet, brothers and sisters, uh, realize that there is a real connection between growth in knowledge and growth in your appreciation and joy in your Savior. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this this phenomenon. It's super obvious as a pastor. Almost every spiritual growth spurt I see in others or myself is tied to people finding fresh insights in God's word and applying them. Uh, Sometimes that comes from formal study in a seminary. Very often it just comes from people being diligent to study their Bibles listening to sermons like this one and trying to to stay awake and take gleanings back for yourself. So let me give you some advice. If you're a Christian this morning, maybe one that has a desire to study the Bible, but maybe are a bit discouraged because frankly, sometimes it's hard. Uh, Let me give you some advice on the front end of ways that you can try and take Luke up on this offer and do a little research on your Redeemer. The first would be to use some study strategies. Uh, One of the most basic is just this. If you want to study the Bible, schedule time to do it. Uh, Have you noticed this in life? Life gets busy, and free time just seems to get spent on things. You never plan for it to get spent on. It's there, and then it's gone. Sometimes you don't intend to squeeze out time reading your Bible, and yet it just seems to happen. So if you are a calendar-driven person, like so many of us these days, let me, as your pastor, suggest to you, put on your calendar the amount of time you want to spend reading the scripture each day. Now, it doesn't have to be lengthy. 
Some time is better than none. And a little more time is better than a little less time. But whatever it is, before the Lord, schedule it. But before you leave the building this morning, if you haven't done this already, pick out a time that you're going to read the Bible. Because if you don't plan to do it, chances are you won't do it. Uh, second thing would be, don't be afraid to vary up your pace as you read. Uh, I've tried to model this in terms of the ways we preach on Sunday morning. Sometimes they will be shorter sections of scripture, like this one, four verses. Other times it will be much longer sections, whole chapters, or even whole books. You can do the same in your study. If, if you find yourself in a bit of a rut, maybe trying to just read one or two verses, try to read Luke's gospel as if it was any other storybook you might pick up. Uh, just sit down and just start reading and try to just get caught up in the story. Don't let yourself get slowed down by the details you don't understand. Read a whole section at a time. Read from chapter 3 to chapter 9. And just see what strikes you. Or conversely, if you're in the habit of reading lots and lots of sections of Scripture, wonderful to do, vary it up, slow down. Pick out one verse that stands out and spend 15 minutes just trying to see connections in that verse to other parts of the book or other parts of your Bible. Uh, pray over the truth that you pull out from a single verse and try to really think about how it applies to your life. Wh whatever you're doing, don't be afraid to mix it up a little. Uh, a second thing would be, don't be afraid to use study helps. Again, this is not an academic pursuit for the sake of academics. Uh, there is not going to be some proctor looking over your shoulder telling you, no looking up the answers in the rule book. You can have open with your Bible resources that help you understand it, point out things you might miss. Uh, let me just uh, recommend the ESV Study Bible. It's a great starter resource. It's got maps. Whenever there's a location, you'll be able to figure out where on the map the people are. It's got helpful notes that might help you understand some of the more difficult sections. If you're interested in getting an ESV study Bible, we have them available at the bookstore, uh, the book wall, uh, even this morning. Uh, there are wonderful Bible commentaries. There, there are entire books that are written on small sections of the Gospel of Luke. Don't be afraid to use them. Now, just a word of advice. Those are no substitutes for studying yourself. Those are helps. But don't feel like you are somehow less of a Christian or less of a researcher in your Redeemer if you use some study helps. Finally, let me suggest that you study with someone else. Certainly it's a valuable thing to spend some time studying with another Christian. That's a wonderful way to disciple people. Let me suggest something else. Maybe it's a little more outside your comfort zone. If Luke is actually a doctor of souls, and if he wrote so people can know that the gospel of Jesus is true, then studying the gospel of Luke with an unbeliever is a great evangelistic strategy. If you've never done this before, you just invite someone who's not a Christian, and you say, hey, you know, my church is studying through the, this book in the Bible called Luke. Would you be interested in getting coffee with me and reading through this book together? You'd be surprised how many people have never read any of the Bible or the Gospel of Luke, and how many of them would find that to be an interesting thing. And wouldn't you know it, a book designed to give you certainty that Jesus really did die on the cross for your sins is a pretty helpful evangelistic tool. So I want each and every one of you, I'm doing this myself, 
I'm praying about who God might have me study the Gospel of Luke with. If Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and Luke took the time to write it down so we could have certainty that that really happened, then it's only fitting that we spend the time and effort to reach out to people in our neighborhood and our family and all around us and ask them if they would come and investigate with us to see if what we really believe is really true. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I know that's a lot of things I've just said. And, and maybe you only remember one thing from this morning. If so, I, I hope it's this. If you were to summarize what the whole the message of the book of Luke is, it's that Jesus is the one that came to take people that were hopelessly lost and unable to come back to God. And he came to bring them to God by giving up his own life as a sacrifice for their sins. The, uh, the message of Luke and the wider Bible is that we are all sinners. And that means we have broken God's laws. And that means we are under the just punishment of God. The wages of sin is death, as the Bible says. But the good news is that God is full of mercy. And though we had no right to expect him to do this, he sent his son Jesus to this earth to come, and though completely innocent on his own, to, to die as a sinner would on a, a cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he served as a sacrifice, a, a substitute sacrifice. God punishing him instead of sinners like you and I. And when Jesus did that and eventually died, the full payment was made for all the sins of everyone that will ever come to God through him. But the good news is that Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life. He rose from the dead and in so doing proved that all of the promises God had made were true. That you can live forever and know you are a friend with God, not his enemy. If you'll repent of your sins and trust in Jesus yourself. Now, I know that's a lot to take in, and it could be you have a lot of questions you need to answer before you're ready to believe that. I hope you feel welcome here, and I hope you'll take us up as a church up on this invitation to study this book with us and to find out whether the things written about Jesus are true. Brothers and sisters, do you really believe what you really believe is really true? true. There was a man who went on a journey, went by the name of William Ramsey. He was an archaeologist in the 1900s, and he was a, a scholar that had a bit of a skeptical bent toward him. He did not think that you should take the Bible at face value, that the things in it were reliable, were history. He thought of it mainly as myth. But he was a scholar a researcher, and an archaeologist. So he one day undertook a project, a very ambitious one. He left England and went off to the area of Greece and the Mideast and traveled around and started digging up things for himself. And he went with this intention. He was going to verify that what particularly Luke wrote in Acts was not reliable history. What William Ramsey found was something he never expected. 
he found a reliable faith, one that could stand up to his research. As he dug and unearthed, he kept on finding instance after instance where a person or a place or a time verified precisely how Luke wrote them down. And by the end of his nine-year expedition, he had completely flipped his assumptions. He came to the conclusion that Luke was a reliable historian. This is what he wrote. The more I studied the narrative of Acts, and the more I learned year after year about Greco-Roman society and thoughts and fashions and the organization of the provinces, the more I admired and the better I began to understood. I set out to look for truth on the borderland where Greece and Asia meet, and I found it there. By the time William Ramsey came back, no longer was he trying to poke holes in the faith. Now he was a defender of it. He became a great apologist for the rest of his days. Brothers and sisters, it will do no good to assume that just because you come from a family of Christians or, or just because your faith makes you feel good, that it's reliable. Now, would you take Luke up on his invitation? Would you study your Savior? Would you research your Redeemer? Would you find out for yourself whether you really believe what you really believe is really true. Because if you do, you'll find an even deeper faith in Jesus and more joy as you appreciate more of your Savior. Brothers and sisters, we're going to end our service here. Usually we have a song of response. We're going to break that pattern. And I just want to encourage you, as you leave, before you go, Resolve in your heart how you are going to put this into practice. I, I'm going to use these words from Luke as the benediction, and I want you to think of them as written to you. It seemed good to me also, having followed the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Brothers and sisters, would you take the time to search the scriptures yourself to find the certainty that these things are true. Go in that certainty in Jesus' name. Amen.